0: Welcome back everybody as we get going here on a uh, Tuesday afternoon on Sports Talk. He's Adrian Broaddus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. It's uh you know, hearing the news about what happened uh, just a few hours ago uh in in Uvalde with the elementary school. It's uh it 's really hard it' sometimes uh you know you do a show like this, uh, whether it 's uh one hour, two hours, three hours, and you know you try to get through it and you try to have uh, an entertaining discussion and you want to have uh, you know as much uh, as much fun as we can talk in sports, but then a story like this hits, and obviously for me, it hits very close to home since uh, i I have someone right now that 's in elementary school and you hear about fourteen uh lives that were lost, little lives that are lost for absolutely no reason whatsoever and it just it leaves a horrific taste in your mouth, and it's not the first time. It won't be the last, and that's what's the worst part about this whole thing, is that uh, it, it happens way too often, folks, and uh, unfortunately, if you don't know this story, it's going to be on every national news network for the next probably few days and weeks, and uh, it's, again, here in the state of Texas, 90 miles from San Antonio, and uh, just, uh, again, horrific, horrific stuff as the details are starting to uh, you know surface now and and again it's it's difficult when you're trying to provide an escape an escape from um, all the stuff you hear on a regular basis but then there're stories like this and obviously it hits so close to home for El Paso and the Walmart shooting from years ago and 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 uh, it's just it's, it's it's so hard to, it's it's hard to talk about. It really is. It's it's sometimes difficult to, to do this show when some stories come out that uh and break like this one has today that just has you shaking your head asking why and and will it ever end? And I think Adrian that's the toughest part about uh you know the story we're hearing today is again lives are lives but when you lose 14 young ones like this um and and a teacher involved and it's oh it's uh, it's it is so hard. It is so difficult to to comprehend. Uh, you know what what entices people for for horrific, heinous acts like this, and ultimately how we try to go on and, and give you a, a sports radio show. But realizing that in the back of our minds, it's hard when you're thinking about the events that took place earlier today.
1: Yeah, this makes me absolutely sick to my stomach, Steve. I mean, I mean, I, I felt like uh, what happened today is absolutely disgusting and horrific. Uh, I just feel like as a country, we just continue to deal with these kinds of horrible, horrible tragedies time after time without any kind of resolution. But, uh, you know, beside this, we're uh, approaching the three-year anniversary of the tragic August 3rd uh, mass shooting at Walmart here in El Paso. And that has really, you know, hurt the city of El Paso. It it allowed the city of El Paso to come together and be El Paso strong. But at the same time, it's something that El Pasoans will never forget. And and it's something that we will remember each time it comes around. And it's it's crazy to even think that we're going to be celebrating three years this year.
0: And I think uh, because of what happened here, no, I mean, remembering, uh, that's right. the, and 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 the truth is we'll never forget you never forget because it changed the lives of everybody here it it really did strengthened the community which was strong to begin with, and all it did was band everybody together and from those events, you hear a story like this and and it hits too close to home because of what happened here and uh, it's just it, it's it, what can I tell you folks uh you know you watch the news and and again the point of us is to get away from that that's the point we want to get away from from what you see on on the local stations on CNN and and on the internet with twitter and facebook and everything else and yet there comes those those stories that just hit so close to home it's difficult it really is so if we're not um our normal selves today uh my apologies i'll just say that in advance do our best to try to give you 2 hours today of of uh, you know, good, compelling sports talk radio, like we usually do here on a regular basis, to get you ready for the Chihuahuas tonight as uh, they return home for Sugar Land. But uh, again, it's just it's tough sometimes, tougher than others, and today is, is one of those days. Nonetheless, we talk about uh, the stories making headlines today. Congratulations, Ivan Melendez, Big Twelve Player of the Year in baseball, and that is a huge accomplishment to the former Coronado High standout who has basically destroyed uh, all of college baseball this year with the Texas Longhorns putting on a uh, power-hitting display that well we've never seen it before at, at, at Texas. And, you know, uh, he's got more to go. I mean, we're not done yet. I think that the best part is, is who knows how many home runs and RBIs Melendez will finish the season with once the Texas season comes to an end. But as we all know, the postseason is here, and uh, I think there's going to be a lot more bashing coming out of Melendez back.
1: I agree with you, Steve. I, last year, we were talking about the Miami Marlins drafting Ivan Melendez in the 16th round. Uh, he he had to come up with his final decision, and he ultimately elected to go back to Texas, uh, play an, another season with Texas baseball, and it was a real bet-on-yourself kind of decision right there with Ivan Melendez, and look at what his decision ends up doing. It pays off in, in really a, a huge way. He, he is uh, recognized as the Big 12 player of the year, also first team All-Big 12. Uh, you know, Player of the Week five different times, which which broke a Big 12 record as well uh, for a player to do that in a single season. So now, I mean, all this leads up to a big weekend that he has out in the Big 12 tournament. Uh, you know, he obviously wants to chase out that uh, College Baseball World Series with Texas with Texas and their baseball team, uh, and then of course it all leads up to the uh, the 2022 MLB draft. Let's see what he could do as far as boosting his stock uh, and, and his draft stock between now. and and
0: then I'm with you on that one, um, and I'm fascinated to see. And that's a big question right now is because we know what he's done against the Big 12 this year and against college competition, but now let's be honest, all eyes are going to be on Melendez because this is what it's all about now trying to get to the College World Series, getting through the NCAA Regionals and the Super Regionals and on to the World Series. All these games, all these series, teams know Melendez. They know his rep. They know he's the Big 12 Player of the Year. They're going to pitch around him. They're going to pitch him carefully. They're going to try to make his life miserable. And ultimately, Going to be really interesting to see as you know Texas tries to make their way you know back to the College World Series. What Melendez can do since he is going to be the main focal point of every single team going up against him.
1: Yeah, and, and look at their first opponent. It's number nine Oklahoma State. Now at one point Texas was uh, supposed to be the favorite to actually win the College Baseball World Series, but now they're ranked number nineteen. Uh, th- this is going to be a huge one for them to see what they could do in this tournament. It's in Arlington, Texas. Uh, West West Virginia has been playing sharp in the Big Twelve, and uh, you know if if Texas has uh, if they have a run with them, they're going to have to beat up some good competition like Oklahoma State, like the Sooners, and like West Virginia. Those are some really good teams right now in college baseball.
0: No, you're right. Tough bracket. Uh, That is very true. And by the way, I mean there is a chance that Ivan Melendez is the National Player of the Year in college baseball. In fact. When you talk to most of the you know writers around college baseball, they're going to tell you Melendez. Here's a guy who is challenging for the national triple crown, and as we all know, Dish Falk is a pitcher ballpark, so he's in a pitcher-friendly park in Austin, and yet he is destroying. I mean, 26 home runs entering the weekend, 80 RBIs, 421 batting average. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. He's carried the team. He really has. So, and there's other guys that are having great years. um, But, you know, if you look at Texas, that is, it's the Ivan Melendez show. It's what it is. Putting, And he is now going to forever be known as a baseball legend in Austin. Just like Roger Clemens. Same thing. I mean, there are certain guys that, you know, are all-time greats. Ivan Melendez, I got news for you, folks. He is now an all-time great in Texas, even if they don't win the College World Series. What he has done single-handedly without him, does Texas even get into the NCAA regionals?
1: they probably don't Steve what uh, Ivan Melendez has been able to do with Texas is uh, provide them with so much offensive support that they can really rely on his bat to carry them in in all these games and I know that you know last year they were uh, one of the favorites out of the Big 12 no doubt about it this year uh, you know the talent around him I'm not going to say it's not as good but it's just not on par where it was last year so it's a little bit more of an uphill battle but when you know that you have Ivan Melendez on your team who's hitting dingers left and right. I mean that that gives you a lot of confidence if you're Texas going into this uh Big 12 tournament
0: this weekend. Oh, it does. It really does. And again, it's not going to be easy because they got to play number 9 Oklahoma State. Oh man. And that's in yeah. the Big 12 tournament game. So remember, now it's tournament time. It's not NCAA. We're not talking NCAA regionals just yet. We're talking Big 12 tournament, because this is what happens before we see who gets to go to the, uh, the regionals and eventually the super regionals. So, you know, they got to get through Oklahoma State, and you mentioned Texas being number 19. Well, guess what? OK State is number nine. That's going to be a tough. That's going to be a tough spot for them right now.
1: Yeah, and you look at the top seed overall in TCU. That's a team that really wants to, um, you know, go out and, and beat out teams in this Big Twelve tournament. They won thirty-five games this year. They're a tough opponent as well. So yeah, uh, when we're talking about this bracket and this and you know this whole tournament, there's some really really good teams out of the Big Twelve in baseball.
0: There are TCU, by the way. Uh, you know, they are I believe uh, 18th in the country. Texas Tech is eighth. In the country.
1: Man, so you got a lot of good talent. Oh, it's
0: stacked, man. The Big 12 is stacked. It is, I mean, it's no joke. Even Texas State in the Sun Belt, 11th in the nation.
1: Oh, wow, that's a a nice surprise right there. Texas State winning 44 games this year in the
0: college baseball scene. Oklahoma's 22nd in the country. Man, you got so much top 25 talent out of the Big 12. It's amazing. By the way, in case you're wondering, Southern Miss, 14th in the nation in college baseball.
1: Oh, okay, For those of you, okay.
0: CUSA fans,
1: little conference USA be, representation soon to be
0: leaving uh, Southern Miss.
1: Maybe they'll drop a little bit in the Sun Belt rankings.
0: So, I hope I live long enough to see UTEP one of these days get baseball back. I really do, and I get the situation. I understand what's going on right now. A, Title IX. B, they are not they don't have enough money. They're not making enough money in football and men's basketball to add sports, especially male sports. They're just not. They still have to balance Title IX before they can even think about doing anything with uh, bringing baseball back and adding men's sports. I get all that. I really do. But, man, it would be great one day – to see baseball come back to UTEP. And I know we've been talking about it. Hey, I've been on the air 25 years. I took over this show um, in July of 97. So, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And UTEP baseball has been the discussion ever since I arrived and long before I arrived. Because I think the last year for UTEP baseball was 85. So we are now um, nearly 40 years without uh, college baseball at UTEP. We have it in New Mexico State. We, uh, I, I think they still have it at EPCC, last I checked.
1: Yeah, yeah that's right. The
0: Tontos. So it would be nice. It would be nice if college baseball came back to UTEP. But there's priorities right now. And they can't add baseball when they still need to add women's sports, and they don't have enough money generated from all the sports to keep adding. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate goal. You know, if football, men's basketball start performing like they used to on a regular basis and the attendance is so good that revenue from attendance combined with donations and everything else can, can afford UTEP the luxury of bringing back baseball or men's soccer or whatever they want. to. Bring. That'd be great. I want baseball. Obviously, I'm a baseball fan. I still play it. Love it. It's the sport for me. And that's only because I stopped growing after seventh or eighth grade, and basketball came to an end. The dreams of playing uh, basketball, um, you know, after uh, whatever I played, I played uh, you know, Y ball, then I played City ball, then I, we played in leagues all the way through high school into college, and then a lot of rec ball. But those days, those days are gone. They're over. So you know, I'd love to see, um, I'd love to see baseball come back to Utah. I just, I know the situation. I understand what they're dealing with right now dollars and cents and Title IX. Those are two tough things. So, and we have a good show lined up for you today. Don Hearn is going to drop by the 600 ESPN Piano Paso Lubingo Studios. Don Hearn, who just uh, retired last week and has had one of the great runs of any trainer or any uh, UTEP employee. You know, you think about the greats at UTEP, right? John Teicher, 40 plus years doing UTEP sports. Don all the years she's been working in sports medicine at utep it's great when we can start to look back of uh, some of the all-timers that are still that are either still here or getting ready to call it a career and have been a part of so many great moments at UTEP. Don Hearn is one of those people.
1: Yeah, and and you know it's it's so interesting, Steve, to just hear all the stories of all the lives she's impacted over the years. I mean, I was just talking to my fiance yesterday. My fiance's trainer was Don Hearn, like like dance trainer. And it's because uh, you know her uncle was Rap, who was a, a previous uh, you know equipment manager at UTEP, and uh, he, you know he was he was there for a long time, and so yep. that's how they developed that relationship. So Alyssa, you know, as a dance or Whenever she has some has some problems or anything, she goes over to Don, and Don takes care of her. So, so many people have ties with her, which is which just blows my mind.
0: We definitely get a chance to talk to uh, to Don uh, when she comes by the studio in our five o'clock hour, and then Hags will be ready to go at six with uh, Chihuahua's baseball. Then we got an eleven o'clock game tomorrow morning, day baseball. So uh, we got a lot to talk about. And when we come back, the Celtics suddenly have new life. They do. They're making this a series. Good for Boston. Good for good for you. Good for basketball fans. So we'll talk about that, and we'll get to some phone calls today at 505-6009. That's 505-6009. Great to have you on board. It's Sports Talk and Charlie One next here on 600 ESPN El Paso. 22 past as we continue here on Sports Talk. Our telephone number, 915-505-6009. Don Hearn coming up in our 5 o'clock hour today, here in our Lubingo studios. Cesar Cubillos, at Ice, Cubillos just tweeted the show, lots of love for the great Dawn Hearn, always took care of pains and injuries of even the cheer team. And this beat-up cheer assistant coach, we will miss her. I think a lot of people will miss her because of what she's done. Uh, earlier in the show, we talked about the uh, horrific events that, that took place uh, today in the uh, elementary school shooting here in Texas. And George Ortiz tweeted us, guys, don't worry. Thank you for being human and showing compassion. Absolutely. You have to. I mean, there's you know, a lot of things we are. Robots, not one of them. So uh, good point. Thank you, Jojo. Appreciate that as well. All right. Um, again. Uh, more to talk about as we continue here on Sports Talk. Um, you want in, now's the time to do it. Last night, Celtics, even their series with the Heat at uh, two games apiece, thanks to a a blowout. A, a blowout from uh, Boston that was pretty convincing. 102-82, the final score, and this game was over in the first quarter. I mean, really? 29 11. Now, sometimes teams can come back from a first quarter blowout. Miami could not last night. In fact, they were down um, 57 33 at the half, and that was it. That was all she wrote. And despite, um, you know, uh, I guess, I don't even know what they did, they were just bad last night. Miami, look, how bad was it? How about this? Nobody in the Miami starting lineup finished in double figures. That's amazing. I mean, you look at it. P.J. Tucker, 21 minutes, no points. Um, Jimmy Butler, 27 minutes, 6 points. Bam Adebayo, bio, 28 minutes, 9 points. Kyle Lowry, 21 minutes, 3 points. And then you've got uh, Struce, uh 15 minutes, no points. So two of their five starters, nothing. No points. And then you look at the bench, and really uh it was it was uh, Oladipo 23 leading the way. This was a nightmare um for Miami. As bad as it gets, and on the flip side, we said it yesterday. Good Jason Tatum equals Celtics win. Last night, what did he do in thirty-four minutes? Thirty-one points, fourteen from the line, eight rebounds, five assists, two blocks. Uh, and three turnovers, plus 37. That is the story of the Boston Celtics, Adrian. When you get good Jason Tatum, you're getting a win. And that's exactly what happened last night.
1: Yeah, you know the Celtics go on an eighteen to one start. Like when it, when they were off to an eighteen to one lead, I was like, "Does Miami even come back from this?" And and they showed some fight in the second half, you know, here and there. Uh, but I, I just didn't think that the Heat had it. What a lopsided series this has been so far—just blowouts on on both ends. Uh, the Heat blew out the Celtics in that previous game three uh, to go up two to one, and now the Celtics really just uh, crushed the Heat last night at home. 82. Uh, I didn't like what I saw from the starters for the Heat, but specifically, I don't really like what I'm seeing from Kyle Lowry. They threw him out. Uh, this is the second game he's played. I thought he would miss yesterday as the reports came out, uh, but instead he ends up playing. The short term of re- uh, the time of rest in between these games is real interesting to watch. But uh, overall of this, I think the key to this series, Steve, is how will the refs officiate these games? Because Game 3 was super physical. P.J. Tucker guarding Jason Taylor. Tatum getting in his face left and right, not allowing him to do anything. This time around, the refs were, uh, you know, they call they they called those whistles. They they got Jason Tatum to the free throw line. They got a lot of these guys, uh, you know, opportunities to hit, head to the line because Miami plays very physical. Boston has that finesse style. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious to see how the refs will officiate the rest of the series.
0: I am too. Now, P.J. Tucker didn't exactly foul out yesterday. He only had two fouls, so it wasn't like he was in uh, foul trouble. In fact nobody fouled out from Miami but you said it best 18 to 1 hard to come back when you're being obliterated from the opening tip i think that's i think that's the key so um here's the crazy thing okay if you look at this series the way the first 4 games have gone let's just look at these first 4 games okay boston loses by 11 in the first game wins by 25 in the second game Loses by six in the third game. Wins by 20 in game four. Now, I don't think either of these teams have a chance with Golden State. I just don't. Wow. And the reason, and, and, and and my opinion is very simple, okay? And that is, it's hard to look at championship teams that get blown out in multiple games and take them as a potential NBA champion. What does that tell you? That tells you that either A, they could turn it on and turn it off whenever they want, or B, the league's not that good. Because you should, first off, as far as Miami goes, you should not lose by 20 points or more on two occasions, win a series, and then be considered an NBA championship favorite. You just shouldn't. And as far as Boston goes, I know they lost by, what was it, they lost um, by 11 and by 6 they were bad in those games they weren't they weren't good in those two games they really were they were off and there's been injuries i get that as well but you look at what golden state is doing right now it just feels like Golden State, even though these two Eastern Conference teams are more defensive oriented and they'll play it tougher, I don't know if they're going to be able to just go in and take Golden State out of their series once they destroy and put away Dallas, which could happen as soon as tonight.
1: You know, it's it's really interesting you bring up this topic because, uh, you know, I look in that, uh, wa- that Warriors-Grizzlies series. I mean, the Warriors were losing at one point by 50 points yep. to Memphis. They and, were. And they struggled. And I'm I I totally subscribe to that notion. You should never get blown out if you're a ch- if you're a true championship quality team. And I kind of thought the same thing with Milwaukee in that Boston series. Uh, how are the Bucks getting killed against the Celtics in some of these games? Um, you know, that's not championship caliber. You shouldn't you shouldn't think that um, you know for them. I just you know it's been this way for the past two seasons now, where we see lopsided scores in the NBA playoffs and close to the the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. I would say it's shot making that's really been out of this world you know you have a team that just hits a barrage of three pointers and the other team kind of you know folds they say Mm -hmm. well you know this other team's up by 15 there's no way we're going to come back now and kind of packs it
0: in so maybe the question should be asked is this no matter who wins the nba title this year are they really considered a great team Or is the NBA down as a whole right now, and of the four teams that are left, even though Golden State looks the best as of now, no matter who wins, do you really put them at the top of that great team? Maybe the NBA is just down as a league, and the best teams in the league right now are still not close to where some of the best teams in the NBA have been over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years.
1: I just think you have more balance,
0: more parity. I mean, but, you know. We shouldn't see as many blowouts. I'm with you you on that. I'm
1: totally with you on that. But, like, from the stretch of 2013 to 2020, all we saw were Cleveland and and Golden State. Every year, it was LeBron storming through the East. It was Steph Curry and and Draymond and and Klay Thompson. And going through the West with ease. Now there's a lot of parity on both ends. Maybe you maybe you chalk it up to coaches coming up with good adjustments game after game. Maybe you chalk it up to good shot making, like I was saying, You know, having a lot of teams hit threes. I think the talent and the, the NBA quality is really high right now. There's a lot of great teams out there, and there's a lot of teams who are strong and good who didn't even make the playoffs because of injuries that they had. So I, I think that the talent is there.
0: Well, I, I agree that the talent is there, but unfortunately the end result should be, well, I, well, I guess my point is this. Final four, every game should be good. Every game, we shouldn't be seeing multiple blowouts. That's what I'm talking about. Is that if these are the four best teams and there's so many lopsided games on both ends? It makes you kind of wonder what are we watching here? What are we doing?
1: You're turning off the TV at halftime on most of these games. Even the Golden State-Mavs series, it's been bad. How do you watch?
0: I mean, how do you take the NBA seriously when the four best teams are are beating each other to the point where you're right? You could turn the game off after after two quarters. How do you do that?
1: Yeah, it's inexcusable. And the first two rounds were so entertaining. That's why this is such a big letdown right now in the Eastern and Western Conference Finals.
0: Bottom of the hour you want in 505-6009. My question is this, are the are the NBA playoffs hurting the sport right now more than helping the sport? Especially if you're kind of that that casual fan, you're not the diehard fan. Are these games turning you off from watching the NBA? We'd love to hear from you on the phones at uh, 505-6009. We've got lines available, 505-6009. You can also tweet us at 600 ESPN El Paso, or chat with us on our mobile app powered by United Bank. You can listen live, and while you're listening, you could chat with us as well. So, three ways to get into the show as sports talk continues. But first, bottom of the hour, let's go to Adrian. He's standing by with this Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much. Again, our telephone number is five zero five six zero zero nine. Question we're asking this hour is is very simple. It's this: If you're watching NBA playoff basketball, um, and you're not a diehard, but you're kind of that, that casual NBA fan, somebody that you know enjoys watching a game, but you're not uh, so vested where you're going to watch every minute of every uh, of every game. Um, does do these kind of contests, uh, these blowouts, turn you off as a fan? Do you feel as if the NBA is just not relevant if the four best teams are beating each other so badly that many of these games are blowout losses? Does it does it bother you as a fan? That's kind of the question we're we're asking right now here on Sports Talk and uh you well, know once again I I talk uh a hockey playoffs a lot because I see overtime games I see double overtime triple overtime games I mean you're watching the best of the best go at it and granted there's your occasional clunkers like the uh, series with uh, Edmonton and um, I believe it was Nashville. It even looked like they belonged in the, that's not Edmonton, care uh, of uh, the Avalanche. Avalanche made that first round look like a joke. It was over. They shouldn't even have played. But you know, for the most part, in hockey, you had really good series, uh, close games, very hotly contested. One goal goes all the way to overtime, double, triple, whatever you play. That's just the way hockey goes in the postseason. Good games. So. NBA just seems to be um, lopsided, and I mean the NFL playoffs. For the most part, they're good. We have your occasional NFL playoff clunkers, but they're good games. Baseball playoffs usually pretty uh, hotly contested too. I don't know, Adrian. It just seems like pro basketball, in, in particular. You know, when you're when you're dealing with the best of the best, they should all be pretty good games. I, I'll give you a blowout once uh, you know in a series, but come on, you're only playing seven. Why can't you have four, five, or six really good basketball games?
1: Yeah, it makes you just hold on and, and really long for those series that were just uh, bloodbaths, really, and, and they went to seven games, whether they're Eastern Conference final games that go down to the wire or series. Like, look, Boston-Miami might go to seven games, and we might never get a close game out of this series. That just, that's just yeah. the bottom line. And that's maybe it's Ime Udoka on one side with the Celtics, Eric Spolstra on the other side with the Heat, just uh, really coaching and, and making adjustments game after game. It's just, you know, it's bizarre to me to see these scores. Like to see a 20-point loss in the Eastern Conference Finals. That should never happen. It really, it really shouldn't happen. Um, I, I just think that these teams, it, it kind of gives you a fresh perspective on the NBA. You're not seeing the same teams over and over, the same players over and over. A lot of new faces coming in. Um, you know, with the Celtics, with the Mavs, you're getting Luka Dantich. I think that's what the NBA is trying to sell fans on. The problem is, some of those teams just just don't show up on you know on a night-to-night basis.
0: It's a good point, really good point. Uh, once again. 6009 Here on Sports Talk, as we continue, you can also tweet the show at six hundred ESPN El Paso. Don Hearn, a little about uh, twenty five minutes from now. Before we go to break, I want to tell you a story about Charles and Carmen. You know, they wanted to sell their home on the far east side of El Paso because they wanted to downsize. That happens a lot. Sometimes people, uh, you know, look at their home and they realize, well, the kids are out of the house. We don't we don't need as much space as we used to. So they enlisted the help of uh, Brian Birds and his team, the Brian Birds Home Selling team powered by exp realty since they weren't in a rush to sell but they did want the most money the home was pre-marketed in brian's coming soon program the home was listed get this for three hundred and ninety nine thousand dollars but within two weeks it was under contract for four hundred and three thousand dollars they wanted the most money and brian's team delivered now If you're worried about leaving money on the table if you sell your home, don't worry because Brian's got you covered. In fact, here's why. Marketing budget. We'll start with that. Brian's team has an annual marketing budget 25 times higher than the average real estate agent's annual income. Not to mention, number one in residential sales, and their homes are seen within minutes of hitting the market. Told you about that Coming Soon Homes program. It works so great for Carmen and Charles and it can work great for you. Now, you want to learn more? Online at brianbirds.com. You can call Brian Bird's or Google him and start packing. Hey, El Paso, have you heard? To sell your home. Apologies, operator error. That's on me, folks. Nobody else. And I was so involved in that Facing Nolan uh, movie premiere that's coming out tonight on Cinemark All Over Town. I started watching the trailer, lost completely track of the break, and uh, that was uh, completely on me. So that looks like a good movie, Adrian. It really does. That might have
1: to be one that we add to the movie review as a special or something like that. I, I, think, w- I think that's a good idea.
0: We need to get uh, somebody from the Ryan family on for that movie. Ooh,
1: I- that's an even better idea. I like that. Let's All do right. it.
0: Let's jump back to Adrian's movie review and find out which movie you had a chance to watch uh, this time. What do you have for us, Adrian?
1: Necessary Roughness. This one came out in nineteen ninety one, September twenty seventh. This one, um, you know, you can't find it on a lot of different platforms. I found it off uh, a different website. I'll just say that uh, you could find it on the Google Play movie list, or you could find it on Vudu if you subscribe to Vudu Television and watch it there. Um, it also is on Amazon Prime Video streaming for two ninety nine uh, if you want to watch it there. Necessary Roughness is a sports movie. It's a football movie, and uh, it's and it, and it um, let's. So let's talk a little bit about this plot. It starts off with the Texas State fighting armadillos. They were a former powerhouse, but they were hit with a ton of infractions by the NCAA. The coaches were fired, the students were expelled. Which I was like, "Wow, that's a harsh, a harsh, uh, you know, infraction right there by the NCAA." But nonetheless, uh, the uh, one they they keep on one clean player out of the entire team. Only one guy played by the rules. Uh, they get a new coach and a whole new coaching staff. Their new coach starts to rebuild the team, and he has tryouts. Well, one of the one of the guys that they bring on the team is a 34-year-old quarterback who never had a chance to go to college, and that's uh, that's Paul Blake, who's their quarterback. He ends up recruiting a graduate student, who his name's Andre, who plays defensive line. The team is still bad. Despite getting the 34-year-old quarterback who, uh, whenever he goes into classes, everybody's looking at him, giving him the weird eye because he's older than everybody else, the uh, team cannot win, and the dean in this film is very excited because the dean wants to eliminate football altogether, and he wants to pocket the, those extra funds, uh, you know, in his own pocket. So um, the team ends up recruiting a female kicker, and things start to turn. So the the female kicker helps tie their first game when she's on their their team. She was a former soccer player as well. Uh, Blake, the, again, the quarterback who's thirty four years old, he briefly quits the team after uh, they end up tying that game, and he fights with his coach, fights with uh, a a girl, you know, a professor that he's having a relationship with as well, but then he decides to come back. Um, you know, this is so interesting because the coach ends up having a heart attack, Steve, right before their big game. Uh the University of Texas Colts is the team that they're playing so the assistant coach has to step in you know this team is just uh, the team of misfits basically but they have a chance to actually win this game lo and behold they do it spoiler alert they beat the Colts in uh, you know in a two-point conversion fashion the Dean gets fired by the university president and then gets smashed by the entire defensive line which I thought was hilarious uh, and to wrap things up um, you know they, they win this game they uh, and every, everybody's excited uh, necessary roughness kind of a goofy movie yep. you know it's it's a sports movie but it's likable it, it's a little cliche which is understandable here are some interesting things I found out. The movie was entirely shot at the North Texas football field. How about that? That's That's pretty cool. Kind of interesting. Well, Um, it makes sense
0: because they had green uniforms, so there you go.
1: Yeah, it did. And, um, you know, it also made sense that there were a lot of NFL players making cameos in this film. Uh, You might remember the scene where the team is playing against the convicts who are there. Well, a lot of those uh, you know players who are there are actually NFL players like Jerry Rice, Earl Campbell, Herschel Walker. Those guys all made cameos in this film. Uh, And lastly, this story... Story is actually loosely based off the SMU scandals in football that happened in the 80s. So they kind of made this to kind of, you know, the storyline. Uh, they, they were inspired by all the uh, controversy that surrounded the SMU football program.
0: That is interesting. By the way, Scott Bakula plays the quarterback in this movie. And no clue who he is. Steve. So you never saw Quantum Leap? No. Okay, throw that on your Hulu list of shows to watch. Okay. That show actually has aged well, and I think you would enjoy that because he became very very familiar from that uh, time period. By the way, uh, Kathy Ireland, uh, the kicker, she was a Sports Illustrated uh, swimsuit model.
1: Interesting, really? So she was
0: really popular at the time when she came on board for that movie. No acting experience, but she was always on the uh, Sports Illustrated uh, Swimsuit Editions. All right, the most important question is this. How many bananas does this uh, cinematic classic get?
1: Again, likable, goofy,
0: but a little cliche for me, Steve. Six out of ten bananas. I knew you were going to go with six. Knew it. Really? Yes, I figured as much. You're like, you put that on the list of... Hey, enjoyable, but uh, it's not in the seven, eight, or nine range. Yeah,
1: you got to be a little harsh on
0: these bananas. Has the movie held up through the last uh, thirty plus years? No,
1: because there's a there's a couple inaccuracies, of, of course. Like when we're talking about things like infractions, I'll tell you this: the on-field acting was good, and that's that's kind of what I look for now watching all these sports uh, films and everything like that. How good is your acting when it comes to actually playing the sport? Actually, I really did like it from Necessary Roughness.
0: All right. Well, listen, good for you. I'm happy I had a chance to watch that. Cross that off the list of movies you've now seen and talked about on the air. And uh, as we wind up our number one of two here on Sports Talk, Don Hearn's coming up in just a moment. I'm excited about having Don drop by the 600 ESPN El Paso Lubingo Studios for a great chat uh, here in our 5 o'clock hour because she's got a lot to talk about and we've got a lot to talk to her about. That's uh, that, that's great. Um, uh, meanwhile, and that's the most important thing also, Adrian, is – Movies that just figure out a way to, uh, you know, stand the test of time. Now, I'm looking forward to the Nolan Ryan movie because there's a ton of interviews with uh, former big leaguers that he played with or against. That's going to be really, really cool. Some of the legends are in that one.
1: Yeah, I I really want, you know, I heard that over the commercial break, and I was like, wow, why why haven't I dug into this a little bit more? But I feel like this one will be, you know, highly anticipated. I'm curious to hear all the different accounts that come out of this film. And, yeah, I mean, you just do a quick uh, Google search of Nolan Ryan. Everybody wants to talk about this film.
0: Have you heard the really weird story that came out today regarding Roger Goodell saying he wants to eliminate Tackle From the Pro Bowl?
1: Yes, yes. This is weird, Steve. What are they going to do?
0: Flag football game? I guess so. He said that they want to turn the Pro Bowl into a celebration of players rather than playing an actual game. What does that mean?
1: you're playing a basketball game like how can you celebrate these players if unless it's like an award show hey here are all the cornerbacks who are honored this year at the pro bowl like who wants to see that
0: people want to see some action from some players i don't know what they want to do with the pro bowl um i guess they're looking at turning it into like the quarterback challenge or other skill events and making it something like that rather than an actual uh, game with pads I still
1: don't think uh, players will participate. I, I, I don't if, either. If the the whole problem going into this was well, players aren't participating. They're not going that hard when they're actually playing because they're f- afraid of injury. Then how you know doing a skills contest and competition? How is that going to encourage any player to actually do it?
0: I don't know. I don't know what they're. Do- I think the NFL is at a crossroads with their Pro Bowl. I think that's the problem right now, and they're just trying to figure out a way to make everybody happy. And I don't think any fan is going to want to watch a game or an event that doesn't include any kind of active game all the other all-star games play games you tell me the NFL is going to suddenly stop now
1: yeah and it's so weird because the input they're getting from is from their television partners but their real input is from the players like you know work with the players if they're going to play go hard on the and and give the fans something that they could be excited about
0: how about that's the fans ultimately if the fans sure. don't show up and don't care then the game goes away anyway right
1: yeah that's right no one was at this past game you know in attendance or even
0: watching it it seemed like good point all right Don heard coming up hour two of sports talk right here 600 ESPN El paso start of hour number two here on sports talk welcome back everybody as we continue along with adrian broadis i'm steve kaplowitz well it's the end of an era folks uh it really is and For somebody that has been the director of sports medicine for, seems like uh, forever, uh, just like uh, I've been around here forever. um, It is now the, um, the end, uh, but I guess the start of a new beginning for Dawn Hearn, because she joins us uh, here inside our 600 ES Piano Paso Lubingo studios. And uh, first off, thanks for coming back. And it's been a while since we've had you in the studio. So we appreciate you being here.
2: Thanks for having me, Steve. I'm uh pretty excited to start this next chapter <laughs> i'll
0: tell you what um the outpouring of uh, really response from everybody when news uh, first started to, to circulate that uh, you would be uh you know uh, stepping down or retiring at utep after uh what almost 35 years uh that to me is what's been so impressive is seeing so many different people talk about how you have uh, influenced their lives over the years
2: well that's what makes it really special and um you know, I really didn't think about it as you're working. You're just working, you know. You don't think about how many people you actually have touched every day, you know. But that's that's what we do as athletic trainers, you know. We're there to, to help and uh, always lend a helping hand with everything. And, you know, yeah, it's the health and safety of the athletes, but you – I look back now and look at all the other people I've helped as far as my student trainers. And, you know, you never turn away anybody that calls you and asks you for help with a particular injury. Well, can you just tell me if I need to go to the doctor? You know, of course, I always recommend you go to the doctor because I'm an athletic trainer. But, you know, I've seen police officers, Border Patrol, DEA, you know, people, many different people from different departments on the from the university, you know, car dealership you know, owners and workers, you know, just anybody. And, you know, the athletes will say, hey, my uh, dad has this problem. They'll tell me what's going on. Well, yeah, I'm always going to try and help them. But, um, you know, that's what we did. And I'm happy to have helped so many people, but I'm also ready to help myself now and have some fun. Good. I, I think I called you years ago about something
0: that happened with my son. And I, I want you to come in and, and check just to make sure everything was okay. So we all have. I mean, yes. everybody, it's it's almost like you're the friend that we all feel comfortable getting in touch with and at least asking about certain conditions and treatment and, and, and just the way it is.
2: Definitely, you know. Uh everybody, everybody says, well, why didn't you go to medical school? Why didn't you become a PT? Well, I love being an athletic trainer. You know, uh, I chose to work at the level of college athletics where, yeah, you're going to put a lot more time in than, than some of the others. You know, yeah, they put their time in at the high school, but they get two months off in the summer and, you know, usually have their Sundays off and holidays off. But, you know... I can't think of anywhere better than college athletics, you know, on a Saturday night with football or you know, a Saturday afternoon with men's men's or women's basketball or at a track meet or you know, it just doesn't matter, college athletics I've I've loved every minute of it.
0: I want to give the phone number out if you're uh, joining us and you want to get into uh to to uh, you know, talk to Don, you can. Uh 915-505-6009 is our telephone number. That's 915-505-6009. You can also tweet us. At six hundred ESPN El Paso as well. You grew up in the Midwest. What was it that actually brought you to El Paso in the late eighties when the job opened up?
2: Well, it was it was the job. You know, I uh, I took the first job offered out of grad school because my parents really helped me a lot going through undergrad and grad school. You know, I came out of college only on two hundred. Uh, $2,500 in loans, Wow, which is nothing. And I know it was a lot cheaper back when I went to college, but still that's nothing. Um, My parents helped me a lot. So it was late uh, August after grad school and I didn't have a job. I was traveling around working for the United States Volleyball Association. So when I was offered this job in Toledo, Ohio, I took it and that was not um, really what I wanted to do. And so I lasted about eight months, went back to the United States Volleyball Association the following summer and uh, basically quit that job. And uh, and, uh, the beginning of August, end of July of 88, I'm calling back at Iowa State where I did my undergrad and I was like, hey, are there any jobs? I don't have a job right now. And they said, yeah, there's a job at UTEP. They told me to call Frank Randall because Frank Randall was actually the head athletic trainer. At New Mexico State, when Dave Binder, who hired me here at UTEP, was a student trainer at UTEP. So there was a little connection there. So he called Dave, and then I had to call uh, Frank back, and Frank said, call Dave right now. So... You know, it was the job that got me down there. I, I came down, interviewed, accepted immediately, and moved to El Paso. That's crazy.
0: So before yeah. that, you were doing, uh, you were with the U.S. volleyball team, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, some people would think that's a, that's a glorious job because you're dealing with the highest caliber uh, athletes. Oh, no, that was
2: just their summer camps. So okay. I wasn't where. No, I wasn't with those guys. I was doing their summer camps. So I travel around every week. We had a different camp every week around the Midwest. So, gotcha. yeah, so I was, you know, I was looking for my college job is what I was looking for. Wow, and it's amazing because
0: I would think that, you know, after all these years, you probably had have had opportunities to go and, and leave. But uh, the fact that you've made El Paso your home really since then uh, speaks volumes about how much, uh, you know, you and, and this city have, have been a perfect pair for each other.
2: Definitely, Um the south, there's nothing better in the southwest in El Paso. I I tell everybody, especially, you know, we've hired a lot of people. I've hired a lot of assistants over the year. And I, and I've always said El Paso is a big city with a small town atmosphere, because everybody's always here to help. And if I don't know somebody, I'm going to have a friend that knows somebody that can help you, you know, so it's, it's awesome. And I've had opportunities and looked at some other things. But for me to have gone somewhere else, it had to be you know a perfect fit, and I really felt like El Paso was my perfect fit. So chose to stay here and have been real happy with it. So you arrive in 88, and, and football is obviously your first sport in the fall.
0: You, you probably felt like you won the lottery because that was the year UTEP went to the Independence Bowl with Bob Stall and, and had such a great season. You're probably thinking to yourself, man— this city's unbelievable. I come here, bowl game, basketball's already in the NCAA tournament. It was perfect.
2: Oh, definitely. You know, I'd never been to a bowl game. I did my undergrad at Iowa State, and we struggled back in the day when I was at Iowa State, so I never went to a bowl game. And then, you know, mid-season, we go to Hawaii with football, so I got to go to Hawaii and then go to a bowl game, so I'd never been to a bowl game. And then with women's basketball that spring, I got to go to Alaska for a week. I mean, yeah, I really felt like I hit the lottery, got my Division One job, got to work football and all the sports. I just, you know, I didn't want to be a head women's trainer. I certainly wanted to always have my football, but I wanted to work all the sports. It's just, you know, it's a good mix. Here's what I
0: can't uh, wrap my head around. In 1988, UTEP still had a lot of sports, many that they don't have now. I mean, there was men's tennis, which I don't think, uh, you know, that went away years ago. Um,
2: and then... There might have been. I'm trying to think. There's anything the else? Only Is that one. the only one? Okay, that was the only one we dropped. We dropped men's tennis, and we've added since I've been here. now we we just added beach volleyball right. this coming year. So. Not during my tenure, really, but we're going. To, uh, we added soccer and softball.
0: That's a good point. Two but I, big,
2: two big sports. Here's the thing, though, Don. I can't
0: imagine you and Dave Binder handling everything just the two of you, because, like you said, when you when you got here, it was just the two of you and probably a bunch of student assistants, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it was a di- definitely a different atmosphere back then with college athletics. We didn't have near the full time athletic trainers we have now, but I really feel like. That's why I was so good, because it was the same situation at Iowa State. Mm-hmm. We had way more sports at Iowa State. And I look back in my senior year, I believe there were six of us that were seniors, and these were the sports that we covered. We had our own training room. Now, we were all student trainers, and we had wrestling, which is huge in the state of Iowa, yeah. baseball, men's and women's track and field. Um, who else is over there? Men's and women's swimming and diving, and men's gymnastics. And we were all upperclassmen and covered those sports. Yeah, if we needed help, we'd take them back to the other training rooms. But still, we only had four full-time certified athletic trainers at Iowa State back in the day, in the early 80s. So, yeah, here um, our students. We expected a lot of them, and, and we trained them up and coached them up, and they knew when they needed to ask for help. And, you know, we for all our home events, either Dave or I were there all the time. But, you know, we had a lot of students that traveled back then. But, we, you know, even when I came in 88, we only had nine students. So we got it done. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: Don, I want to ask you, in 1995, you were only the third female head athletic trainer of any FBS program. Uh, I found that really uh, amazing right there. Is it is it interesting to kind of reflect back just to know where women are in sports now uh, compared to back in the
2: 90s? Sure, you know, everybody made a huge ordeal or a huge deal about that and you know, my feeling about it was, you know, I worked hard and I earned the respect of our coaches that we had here and we had two veteran coaches with football with, with Charlie Bailey and with men's basketball coach with uh, uh coach Haskins and you know, they respected me. They both had seen me, you know, grow as an assistant and uh You know, John Thompson was our athletic director then, and he was going to listen to what those two guys said. And so, yes, I got promoted then, and I just feel like I earned it. And the the coaches knew I could handle it, and um, you know it was kind of a match made in heaven as far as I was concerned.
0: I guess I never realized that back in the mid nineties, it was still considered a, a men's field for sports medicine, and you were only one of three. That's the the I, I guess the part that surprises me the most is I'm sure since in the last what twenty seven years, Don, um, we're starting to see more and more uh, you know FBS schools and colleges give females uh, the chance to be the director of sports medicine or the head athletic trainers but in those
2: days it was still considered to be predominantly male oriented well even when I was a student trainer at Iowa State uh, until my second year in the program the women couldn't go down and work football with they you know we had an athletic director at Iowa State at the time that didn't allow women you know around football and then um, my second year at Iowa State we had the uh, new athletic director came in and the two had Athletic trainers talked and Alice said, hey, I I got a few women that, you know, are going to go on into the profession and they need the football experience. And, you know, Frank accepted us right away. It wasn't him that wouldn't let us come down there. So, yeah, and that was in, um, you know, that was the mid early mid 80s, you know. So, you know, the athletic trainings come a long ways. And, you know, it's just a matter of everybody finding their niche and, you know, realizing that, you know, um, Ray uh, Sanchez, You know, back in the day when we used to have the uh, little meetings at Grandy's, you know, and I can't remember what day of the week it was. It was a morning once a week, and he would ask me every time I was on the show that what did I have to – you know, if if I needed to go in the football locker room, would I go in there? Well, the only reason I needed to go in there is if there was a medical emergency. Otherwise, I could send a mail in there. Sure. You know, so he was always very concerned with that. And, you know, you got to be a professional. And that's, you know, I always conducted myself a professional. So to me, it was never an issue.
0: Don Hearn with us uh, here on Sports Talk at our Lubingo studios. If you want in, 505 You can also tweet the show at 600 ESPN El Paso. Eddie Morelos, uh, thank you to Don. From those of us here at the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, we appreciate you. <laughs> so nicely done. And then earlier before you arrived, uh, Cesar Cubillos also tweeted us and talked uh, about. Uh, all the love she he's got for you for taking care of the pains and injuries of the cheer team and uh, this beat-up cheer assistant coach. So, <laughs> again, and that's the thing. You know, it doesn't just extend through athletics that like you would normally think of. Cheer is very much a part of UTEP athletics. And with all of the activities that they involved in all the different sporting events, I can imagine that you're as busy with them as you are with every other student athlete.
2: Well, certainly. I mean, you know, some of the stunts that they do and the, the towers they put up. They have their... Uh, you know, they're uh, light girls. They like to throw around. Uh, definitely, we've had uh, our fair share of injuries with our cheer team. But, you know, th- that provides some a couple of our student trainers a lot of valuable experience, too, because we as full-time, I don't have enough to have a full-time athletic trainer over there with them when they're practicing. But we try and send a student over all the time. Even one of our students got to travel with them to the Macy's parade this year. And, you yeah. know, they go to competitions with them and, you know, certainly they're they're athletes just like our you know all of our other sports. So definitely,
0: great questions coming in on Twitter. We'll get to some of those when we come back. So stay with us. More with Don Hearn, folks. The sports talk rolls along, but first here's Charlie one with this traffic update. Twenty pass back with uh, Don Hearn right now. Uh, she is getting ready to call it a career at UTEP. Done it all. Uh, she's in the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. In fact. Uh, that's not the only Hall of Fame you're in. I feel like you're also in the Sun City Athletic Trainers Hall of Fame, and uh, you know uh, it won't be long before you're in the uh, UTEP
2: Athletics Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's coming. Uh, uh, Jeff Darby told me I had to wait five years. Well, that's, <laughs> so, that's the uh, that's the mandatory period, huh? Five years. All right. Well, you know that all all that stuff has been quite an honor. I never felt like I did anything special in my career. I just always worked hard and. And did the best job I could, and took care of my athletes. You know, that's that's, you know, came to work every day.
0: Johnny Lee Higgins came into town for you for your uh, for your going away event. That's incredible. And I'm sure he wasn't alone. I'm sure there were a lot of former UTEP athletes that came in because they heard the news and they, they wanted to do, uh, they wanted to be there for you.
2: Well, you know, I, unfortunately it was on a Tuesday, and you know, a lot of people said, "Oh, Donnie should have done it on a weekend." Well, you know, I'm just trying to slither out, um, but. Yeah, I was, I was really impressed with the number of people that showed up. Um, you know, that's what made it special and all the phone calls I've gotten and, you know, the LinkedIn comments and the and the Facebook comments and, and all the people that have called sent me emails. And like you said, a lot of people flew in. My old boss flew in with his wife from Vegas. I had two former student trainers that got married that uh, drove down from Colorado. Uh, another former student flew in from uh, – The like over by Corpus Christi, I believe. You know, people people did come in from quite a ways. By the way, your your
0: um. Tree, I would call it the uh, st- you know sports medicine tree of all the students that have been with you since uh, you first got here, and what they've all gone on to do is pretty it's pretty amazing when you start to look back at everybody that uh, you know thirty four years worth of uh, student assistance and how so many have gone on to either become doctors, professionals, and and so many other things in 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 the world of sports medicine.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's nurses out there, there's PTs, there's physicians assistants. I mean, they've all, you know, I can't think of too many of the student trainers that, that were in the program more than two years that, you know, aren't a successful professional right now, you know, whether it's an athletic trainer or, or something else, you know, not even in the ally, uh, allied health profession, you know, the one of the guys... Went on, got his master's, and went straight to the oil fields just because of the money. He goes, I'm coming back to it, but right now I couldn't afford to pass this up. But, you know, didn't have to go out in the fields. was, you know, in management because of his work ethic, you know. Mm -hmm. So I've been um, pretty proud of my students.
0: I don't blame you. Uh, Meanwhile, when you arrived, what were the facilities like here, especially for sports medicine, compared to where they are now?
2: Well, you know, uh, we had the Ross Moore Building, which when it was built, it was state-of-the-art. It was, you know, a standalone building just for athletic training. But, you know, back then there were not women's athletics at UTEP, you know. So, um, you know, compared to what Ross came from, you know, he was over there in the, the storage area for track, you know, was the athletic training room he started with. So, you know, that was huge. It was great having your own building. But, again, the best place in there by the time we had outgrown it was my office the office was huge but again we had moved a treatment table in there you know just so we had another place to do treatments because it was you know we just outgrew it and so going to the Durham Center you know, it was it was so special to be involved in, and being able to kind of design it. You know, certainly we always went bigger and better. And, yeah, it wasn't quite big enough, but certainly uh, it was a lot bigger than what we already had.
0: So years later, as you look back right now, um, <laughs> do we have enough at UTEP? Or, like you said, could we always have more when it comes to what you believe UTEP needs as far as sports medicine? Because a lot of sports, a lot of student-athletes... Um, is it is it to where it needs to be, in your opinion?
2: Well, we've really grown a lot. You know, like like you said, when I first came, it was just uh, Dave Binder, myself. So I had a person and assistant and nine students. Now there's there's 10 of us as uh, full-time athletic trainers when we're at full staff and anywhere between 15 and, and about 30 students. So, yes, we've come a long ways. Yes, it can always be bigger and better. You know, you'd you'd wish you could have a full-time mental health person on staff um, with everything that's going on now. You'd love to have somebody full-time with nutrition in there. Um, You know, but that's, you know, everything costs a lot of money. And so, you know, we try and identify some of our assistants that kind of specialize in different areas. You know, uh, Andrew, uh, you who's going to take over for me. You know, did his master's in 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 sports psych, so he does definitely has a, a passion for the mental health side of it, and has done a really nice job. You know, he took took that part over uh, when he was promoted um, as the head athlete trainer when Tony left. So. Um, you know, he has good experience with that. So yeah, you know, you always want more, you always want bigger and better, but certainly we've come a long ways and, and are doing a real nice job already here at UTEP.
0: Well, that's good. I mean, you want to make sure that when you leave it, you're leaving it in good hands. That's that's really the most important thing, especially as you look back on, um, you know, where things are today versus where they were, when, you know, 1988, for example.
2: Certainly. I mean, it, it, we've come a long ways at, at UTEP and, um you know, I think everybody's had their had their um uh you know, put their put their mark on UTEP as far as, you know, Ross Moore was the first athletic trainer and right after him, uh, Don Forster was here for a short time and then Dave was here for somewhere between eleven and thirteen years and I've kinda been here a lot longer. You know, I think Ross still has me by a couple of years. I was going to try and outlast him, but... Um, it's hard to do. Yeah, I, I kind of want to have some fun. I'm ready to, I'm ready to hang it up. So I, I, didn't, I wasn't going to worry about that too much. But, um, you know, Andrew did a real nice job. And the assistance we have in place right now, everybody gets along real well, everybody works hard. And, and I think it's a, it's a good mix.
0: Don Hearn with us here in our Lubingo studios as we continue. So Ivan at El Paso Visuals sends us this tweet. Can you ask Don, because I've always wondered, what is the first thing she asks or says to players when she runs onto the field when someone is hurt?
2: <laughs> well, the biggest thing is trying to calm them down. You know, when you get out there on the field, everybody's different. You know, you could walk up on – or not walk. I never walked out there. You, know, you could run up on somebody that um, – you know I've gotten out there before and heard somebody snoring before I even knelt down you know that had a pretty significant concussion mm-hmm. uh, or you can go out there and throw a towel over a compound fracture that you saw happen um, you know the biggest thing is you have to remain calm cool and collect so they're already going to be excited about the situation depending on um, how they can respond back to you will depend on you know what your first question is you know a lot of times you know, that's why you're watching the game. You see stuff happen. Uh, if you don't see it happen, certainly, and then when you get out there, you know, if they aren't reaching for something, you got to find out what you're dealing with. You know, if they're unconscious, then certainly you're going to suspect a head and neck injury, so you just go from there.
0: Was there ever an incident over the years that scared you when you went there and saw it and witnessed it firsthand, and were with the athlete, were you know because your job is to remain calm to keep them calm. But was there ever something that, even though you were trying to keep your composure and be calm, deep down you were a little nervous and, and worried about what you were seeing?
2: Uh, I I just think my training has saved me there. I've never, you know, you go back and you after you've had something significant. Um, you go back and you look and you reevaluate how you handled it. And I can't say as I've ever been scared of any situation I've had. I've had some pretty nasty stuff I've dealt with. Um, and I guess, yeah, well, one time I uh, approached an athlete that was standing there not moving, but he was standing up. And I really wanted to take a backboard and put it on him and then lay him down on the backboard. Um because it was significant enough, and and to be honest, that athlete never played again because his neck injury was that significant. But he wasn't even on the ground, and it was a, I mean, yeah, it ended up being a contact drill. But you know, everybody, no, there wasn't anybody on the ground when that happened. So now that I look back on it, that was that was kind of scary. And I've seen a lot of blood over my career, and but. You just you react and you handle it because you know what your job is and you can't get all excited. You know, you may have a lot of adrenaline going through you and you know, I've spine boarded somebody and stood up and could hardly stand up because my legs were shaking so bad because I'd been down there. But Mm -hmm. you know, once we were done, we were done and I felt pretty good about the situation, you know. They were they were on their way to the hospital where they needed to be.
1: What's the difference when it comes to addressing injuries in a game versus addressing injuries at a practice?
2: Well, uh, I mean, injuries during a game, the coach needs to know immediately if this athlete is going to be able to continue, you know, depending on the position they're playing and things like that. You know, there's a lot of pressure during a game, Um, but you still have to be thorough enough to not let anything slip through the cracks. You know, now that we know... As much as we know about concussions, you know certainly we didn't know what we knew back in the day when I first started. You know we had a neurologist on the sideline that would evaluate an athlete with a concussion and say, "Hey, let's hold them out till halftime, then see how they're doing." You know after halftime. Um, so yeah, during it you can take your time in practice and um, you know make a decision. Uh, certainly you you always want your athletes to practice, but again you know it's not a necessity it's not going to not going to dictate whether you win or lose a game if they miss a day of practice um so you can be a little more conservative at practice but again you can't you know you still have to be smart during a game you can't put somebody out there that their injury is going to get worse yes it could get a little sore but that's different than making the injury worse
0: did we even have a neurologist uh, in the late 80s when you first arrived because i feel like that was before really
2: anything came around like oh, it yeah. is now Oh yeah we had one on, we had one on our sideline, and um, you know he was on our sideline almost until he retired. He, wow. He's retired several years ago. So since then um, you know we have some family practice doctors that, uh, that are specialized in sports medicine that really do a nice job with our concussion stuff and they're on our sideline now.
0: Excellent. More with Don as we continue bottom of the hour, let's get right back to Adrian and get this sports Center update. Thank you very much. We've got Dawn here with us for a little while longer. If you want to weigh in, you can call 505 That's 505-6009. All right, uh, second part of the question from Ivan on Twitter. He wants to know, what will Dawn do with her huge fanny pack? They should hang it up in the training room for all to see and remember her. All right, so there you go. The iconic uh, fanny pack you have, what, uh, what's going to happen uh, with that? You
2: know, I haven't even unpacked it, and it's actually made it to my truck today. So, you know, I kind of need to go through it, Um, but it'll probably get thrown away because that was my favorite one because it was the biggest one I had, and I could put so much in it, but it's so faded and worn out, and the Velcro doesn't really—it's probably going to get thrown out. (laughs) All right. So, so much for re-
0: retiring it in the uh, training office. It's not probably not going to happen. But no. good question, Ivan. <laughs> Appreciate you asking about that. Um, in terms of all the the championships you've watched, whether it's trips to the tournament, bowl games, national championships, with, in terms of track and field, what they've been able to accomplish, are, are there any like one or moments that stand out for you as some of like the best accomplishments? Because how do you define your uh you know achievements? Since ultimately it's about keeping athletes healthy, but then again, wanting to see them win on the field or on the court.
2: Well, I always said my my best reward in this job is, is taking an athlete through a long rehab process or, or a complicated injury or even somebody that was just out for two weeks with a, with an ankle sprain that probably should have been out four weeks, but they worked so hard um, that they were able to come back in two weeks. You know, that was always my reward when they were back contributing to the success of their team. Um you know, unfortunately, I was never on the bench for one of our basketball teams uh, that went to postseason. I was either, you know, um, you know, with the women early in my career and the men later in the career. But I tell you what, when they sold out the Haskins Center with the uh, two women's NIT games, I was definitely there. I wasn't on the bench, but I was there. It was some special to see. And, you know, the Haskins Center used to sell out all the time when I first got here because you had the likes of, you know, some NBA all-stars on the team, you know, so... All that stuff, you know, the, the even when our crowd isn't as big at the Sun Bowl, but we have 15,000 in that Sun Bowl, and it sounds like it's sold out. So I love the fans here in El Paso. You worked the bench next to Coach Haskins, didn't you? Yes, I did. How would you explain
0: or describe what that was like?
2: It was, you know, it was really funny because Coach and I never talked. You know, Coach was, um, he was the ultimate gentleman. Um, you know, so when I asked him, where he wanted me to be on the bench I just assumed I'd sit up front and his comment to me was yeah Dawn but if I start cussing I I, I want you to move down because that's just not right for me to do that in front of a lady and I just kind of was like well coach that doesn't bother me well you know what you don't talk back to coach Haskins and that was a big mistake and I I learned that really early that that you know I didn't I didn't ever challenge it but you noticed I never got up and left um his area either you know I never went to the end of the bench but it was um it was a lot of fun to to listen to him, you know. Certainly I, I um got on with coach late in his career and I I seriously um doubt that early in his career I would have been allowed in the gym because that just wasn't you know, that wasn't the way things operated back then. But um he really treated me with a lot of respect and Really, he made my job really easy with basketball. He would say, I remember when Jeff Spiller had a nasty ankle sprain. It was the first day I ran him. You know, he had this huge tape job on and an air cast. And I was having him do about four laps just around the court, see how it felt, and then we were going to go from there. And he did one lap, and Coach turned around and yelled at me. He goes, are you sure he should be running right now? I was like, okay, yeah, Jeff, let's go up to the concourse and so we can get some work in. You know, because he didn't, you know, he wanted them 100% before they started doing everything. How so. many How many other coaches in
0: basketball did you work with? You obviously worked with Rabidou after Haskins, correct? Yeah,
2: I think I only had Rabidou for a year before I was able to hire another full-time. Um, so I think it was just the one year with okay. Coach Rabidou and then I was able to turn basketball over and— go
0: back to football. Or you were with football anyway, but just uh, yes. I got gotcha. you.
2: And, and think about it. Football wise, you've seen
0: everybody. Stoll, David Lee, uh, and then you had Charlie Bailey, uh, then Gary Nord, Mike Price, Sean Kugler, and um, where we're at right now with Dana Dimmel. It's pretty wild to think about all the football coaches that you've been able to be
2: around all these years. Yeah, And think about all the assistants that have mm. come along with all them. I mean, when I first came, I'm mean, going to look at Coach Stoll's staff um, his last year you know you had Andy Reid on there yeah you know it was just i've i've really been fortunate with all the people i've been able to work with here at, in el paso how about at athletes Utah. wise i mean do, i mean <sighs>
0: were there some athletes in fact where you almost felt like you like they were humpty dumpty and you were just having to put them back together again over and over and over throughout the course of their careers
2: always i mean there's some that that nobody's ever heard of that you know you actually talk to and you recommend they don't play anymore and i still remember wow. you know this kid it was his second year at utep and uh, he was kind of down the line as a tight end, you know, a decent athlete, but he really wasn't going to play because they they would recruit and, you know, started getting better people. He'd already had both knees scoped, both wrists fixed before he came, and he was on his second knee scope, and I sat there, and he had a little complication, had a little bleed after the surgery, something real simple, you know, a little minor complication, uh, but they put him back in the hospital, and they had to scope him again. And I sat there and listened to him tell his fiance that they wanted to have six kids. And so, I, you know, once he came in the office uh, a couple of days later, uh, I talked to him and said, you know, I listened to what you said, and for you to be able to do that, you know, I just, I encouraged him not to play anymore. I, you know, certainly the coach knew about it, and you know, I told the coach before I did something like that, but you know, I recommend he didn't play anymore. If he, yeah. he wasn't going to play, his knees were not going to hold up for him to play much more in another year anyway, just for practice. So, you know, it's hard, but, you know, that was what our job is.
0: Nastiest hit I ever watched was when uh, Mac Lefwich got sandwiched oh. in the New Mexico State football game and ultimately ended his career.
2: Well, that was a l- one of the loudest hits I've ever heard, too, and we were really close, and I uh, you know, I kept starting to go out there and the fumbles, you know, kept bouncing around. And I almost got hit because I tried to get out there so quick. But, you know, it was amazing that he was not unconscious when I got to him. And within 10 minutes, he kept saying, I'm fine. I can go back out there. And, you know, again, we know a lot more about concussions now. So sure. Sure. Yeah.
0: All right. Um, let me ask you this. So you've got about another week and a half or so before it's all said and done. Um Don, you know, doing this now for uh, what? Well, this will be your let's see. You started in the eighties, so eighties, nineties, two thousands. So this is your fifth decade, okay? You've only done this for thirty four years, but fifth decade at UTEP. How do you want to be remembered when it's all said and done, and people think back and you know that and and they know you from your years uh, with the minors and, and what you've been able to do all these years in sports medicine. How do you want to
2: be remembered at UTEP? I I just like the fact that the athletes, you know what made this so special for me is the athletes always come back when they come back in town and bring their family to meet you and that's what always made it special and that's the part that I'll miss the most you know so God, you got me all choked up. I hear you're getting getting emotional on this But, But, uh, but I
0: understand I mean you do you in a sense, do you almost, this is not, the wording choice is bad Don, but in a sense, you're almost like the team mom when they think <laughs> about it, because you've been able to be the mom for so many athletes when they're away from home, they're not around their families, and ultimately you
2: almost have that role where you're kind of like the, the team mom of UTEP. To a certain extent, I had a lot of athletes that asked me if they could call me mom, and I said absolutely not, and I'd show them a picture of my dogs at the time, you know, that, you know I was their mom, but yeah. you know, the fact that the Athletes could come in, and, you know, we don't have a lot of rules in the athletic training room because the athletes are already under a lot of stress, you know, to perform – and, uh, you know, to to perform not only on the field, but in the classroom, and they have meetings, and they got to go to the weight room, and, you know, they already have so much, so the fact that they could come in, and, and we didn't have a lot of rules, and, you know, to listen to them talk amongst themselves when we're taping was, we used to hear a lot of good stories, uh, you know, taping football, men's basketball, um, and even women's basketball, you, had a, you know, you hear a lot of different stories when you're taping, a lot that I couldn't repeat now, but... The athletes were comfortable coming in the training room. That's the way it's supposed to be.
0: Absolutely right. So what's next for you now? new chapter uh, after uh, your time at UTEP comes to an end. Tell me about what uh, what you're going to be doing next.
2: Well, I'm really excited to just, you know, kick back and do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that's going to involve a lot of fishing and sitting on my boat up at Elephant Butte Lake. And, you know, my dogs love to go out on the out on the boat you know we used to uh camp and fish and ski and kneeboard and do all that well I'm a little old for all that after kind of the joint replacements I'll, I'll stay in the boat now and fish and um but I'm just so looking forward to that and you know having my family around uh you know I missed a lot with family you know doing this job so I know my sister already lives down here she's got uh She's probably got at least another 10 years to work, but my brother's a couple years older than me. He's going to retire in another couple years. He's going to come down. So we're going to build us a little retirement compound up at uh, up in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, and um, really enjoy enjoy life up there. I want to have a garden. Never had a garden for, you know, a little bit, but you got to stay on top of it. And, you know, when it's coming to fruitation, you know, that's about the time we were starting football camp. So uh, yep. never got that far. So.
0: I just like the fact that uh, if we want to run into you, we'll probably see you at Elephant Butte Lake, uh, Lake over the next uh, few uh, months and years to come. That's for sure.
2: Oh, definitely. And uh, you'll see me at some sporting events. I, you know, I, I can't stay away from college athletics. It would be fun to be able to watch and not have any pressure.
0: Well, enjoy uh, your new chapter, and uh, thank you for being so great and uh, generous with us over all the years, uh, on the air and off the air. You've always been one of our favorites, and we appreciate that. And, and again, all the years you've, you've put in at UTEP. Thanks so
2: much, and congratulations. Uh, thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. I uh, enjoyed every minute of it and um, look forward to the next chapter.
0: We do as well. Don Hearn, folks, as we continue here on Sports Talk. We'll wrap it up next. Chihuahua's baseball right around the corner with Tim Haggerty, 600 ES El Paso.